What does it mean to be a successful public transit agency? What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals from around the world. This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul Comfort. This is Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort. Great to be with you on another edition of the world's leading transit executive podcast, Transit Unplugged. Today we visit in person with Carrie Butler, Executive Director of TARC, the Transit Authority of River City in Louisville, Kentucky. We met with her and many folks on her leadership team at their grand offices in the old Union Station headquarters in Louisville, Kentucky. Just a great building, part of that Louisville-Nashville, the old uh, Louisville-Nashville train route. While we were there, I spoke with her about drivers and skilled mechanics, the uh, area that most transit agencies are needing right now is more of them. And she tells you about what they're doing, some great ideas, as well as I was able to meet with her, some of members of her board of directors, and we talked about what transit will look like coming out of the pandemic there, and possibly things like microtransit, refreshing their routes to take people where they want to go today. This is a great in-depth interview with Carrie Butler. I think you'll really enjoy it on today's edition of Transit Unplugged, in person this time. This is Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort. Great to be back on the road in Louisville, Kentucky, with my good friend, Carrie Butler, Executive Director of the Transit Authority of River City. We're sitting in her office in this phenomenal former Union Station building. Carrie, thank you so much for being our guest today. Oh, well, thanks for having me. Really glad to be here. Union Station is just an amazing space. It's built in 1890, and it was part of the Louisville and Nashville Railroad. This is the passenger terminal, so we have a a sister building in Nashville that's now used as a hotel. So amazing, amazing place to work. Yeah, this is great. And and uh, a little bit of background on you as uh, you worked here before, right? Before you got the job recently as executive director. I always like to see that. Somebody who worked in one position then comes back and, and they know kind of how the place runs because they worked here. Yes, I had the opportunity. I'm born and raised in Louisville and okay. I had the opportunity after going to graduate school at Florida and Florida State master's in urban and regional planning, I, moving, you know, getting married, wanting to move back home. Housing market was much better in Louisville. So moved back to Louisville and there was an opportunity at TARC to work on the South Central Corridor light rail project, Transportation Tomorrow. Okay. So I started working here in early 2000s on a light rail line. And it, I was a community coordinator, I think started out, did a lot of public meetings, a lot of community engagement, uh, we were in the preliminary new starts, and un- unfortunately, we didn't continue on with that project as an organization. There was a pretty big competition or perceived competition for a large bridge project, like highway interstate uh, bridge. So the funding, and there was competition the, uh, There's not okay. enough funding, too expensive, can't do both projects. And I transitioned into more of the sort of traditional planning and scheduling role here, and then was the director of planning. So I was here about eight years, and then- Is um, that during the Barry Barker era? It, it, <laughs> it was during the Barry Barker era. He was a you know, mentor and friend, still is, see him, see him every so often uh, you know, for lunch and, and whatnot. And it was great. It was, it was a very, I, I remember it being a very exciting time and optimistic time in the early 2000s. New Starts was new, you know, a new capital investment program, lots of energy around light rail, bus rapid transit. So I want to bring that optimism back. You know, I, I, wanna, I want us to be thinking about 
both as a community, as an agency, where do we want to be in five years? Like, let's do some cool stuff. We've got energy and, and money and hopefully even more infrastructure dollars. So I, I really want to bring that optimism back of how I felt back in the 2000s. Yeah. And is that part of what you think is motivating you now? I mean, you've been here at this job, what, going on a year now, right, as executive director? Yeah, just just uh, October will be okay. my year anniversary. Yeah. And it's been, um, you know, we've had a lot happening, COVID and just... I don't know that I'll start a job in a pandemic again. (laughs) Hopefully there won't be a pandemic, but if there were, I don't know that I'll change jobs in the middle of a pandemic. But I think the the motivation sure is is optimism. And and I I do go back to why I got into this job or into this business in the first place. I was not a I probably shouldn't say this on a radio podcast (laughs) or podcast, but I was always a really good student, you know, got good grades, but I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I remember the uh, high school counselor came and we did some test and they said, well, you can be a local like problem solver on the news, like one of those oh, yeah. news cat. And I yeah. was like, investigative reporter, investigative reporter. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't want, that's a weird job. I didn't want to do that. Yeah. So I didn't, I never really knew what I wanted to do and kind of bopped around. I, worked at Kinko's, everybody, I always talk about, I worked at Kinko's and I love that job. And then my father was an architect. And one day we were having a conversation about um, like where a target was going to be located. They were, they were building a new target in a green, what now I know is a greenfield location. And, but they had this existing store. And I said, well, why don't they just fix up that target where it exists instead of taking down this beautiful green space. And my dad's like, well, that's what urban planners do. And I was like, all of a sudden this light bulb went out, went off that I wanted to be an urban planner. And it was, it was a great feeling. Cause I finally like felt like I had some direction yeah. in my life. So then applied to graduate school and one of the, I applied a couple different places, but Florida state, I had written my essay on grad school about public transit, honestly, kind of, on a whim, you know, based on kind of a friend that told me, why don't you write it on public transit? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, here you and, are 20 years later. Yeah. yeah. And so um, I ended up getting a fellowship and then that I worked at what's now uh, Star Metro in Tallahassee. And then I worked at Miami Dade Transit and that just kind of put me on this career. So I, I do always go back to why I was interested yeah. is this care for the community and, you know, a threat of environmental issues, but just wanting to improve the quality of life. And that's kind of what always keeps me motivated. Uh, That's awesome, Carrie. And, you know, I think coming out of COVID, which we are here in the U.S., hopefully, um, it's given a lot of transit agencies an inflection point. And I talked about this yesterday Mm -hmm. with you and your staff when we're talking about, you know, kind of the Simon Sinek question, you know, why are we doing what we're doing? And I think a lot of transit agencies have realized because our ridership was decimated during COVID, you know, are we really here just for the one number of ridership? No, I think everyone's agreed. No, really, there's lots of reasons for public transit, right? It helps the economy. It helps people actually, the essential workers get to work. We can use it for policy reasons to improve equity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. We can use it to clean the environment. Are these some of the things that are motivating you and your team here? Oh, definitely. It COVID made it very clear to me how critical what we do is. And I remember... Yeah. I was at a different agency when, when COVID started, but you know, the, the world sort of, or at least the community shut down restrictions, 
but then public transit was deemed critical and was to keep on going. Right. And, and I, I kind of didn't want to, I wanted to send everybody home. I wanted to keep folks safe. I wanted to keep our team safe, but I was like, well, we're going. And then within, you know, that week we got a lot of feedback about, Hey, thank you for being here. I've got to get to my job at the hospital or I work at Kroger, the grocery store, you know, and it, it, that was, that was another kind of motivation is like, look, what we do is really, really critical. Like it was like critical became this really meaningful word, impactful word for me. And that, that was, that was good. But at the same time, it's, it's been this tension, I think over these past couple of years about, well, ridership and we're losing ridership. And I feel like sometimes our industry or maybe organizations, we don't really, we, we don't really think about, well, why is ridership declining? Yeah. And, you know, some of it I know is, well, if we had more money, we could do X, Y, or Z, but we have to start thinking about our product, like what it is we deliver on yes. the street. Yes. And if it takes five times as long or four times as long to get from point A to point B, most people aren't going to choose that. And is it really fair? So I think that travel time is important to think about. Like, well, how long does it actually take to get from here to there? Yes. And we often don't, I don't think we've talked, thought about that enough I, a, a, as an industry. But I agree with you. Uh, in, in the class that I was sharing with your team yesterday, we talked about what I call the four pillars of the four North Stars, which are safety, efficiency, reliability, and world-class customer service. And on the efficiency side, we often think about that KPI, that key performance indicator being um, how many passengers per hour. But there's another efficiency number, just what you said, that we're not thinking about enough. And that is, if I can drive this in 20 minutes, why would I ever ride a bus that takes 60 minutes to get there? And that leads to the question about equity and inclusion. Right. Where are we making our public investments? Are we just putting them into roads so that people who are a little wealthier, who can afford a car, can get there faster? Meanwhile, people who are low income or maybe traditionally communities uh, that were underserved, it's going to take them three times as long? Right. You just asked me the question right before we came on the air, which was, why is it fair for somebody who works you know, at the donut mm-hmm. shop to take them three times as long to get to work? And it's not fair. Right. And not, exactly. It, it, it shouldn't be harder and longer to get to a job that's across town. We, we have to make that, um, I mean, we have to make it equitable. Right. We should. So yeah. I, I'm encouraged. I, I am encouraged though, because I see, I've seen, I guess I've been working long enough that I see some of the change in more of the traditional sort of highway road departments. Yeah. And, you know, you see the, the impacts or benefits of some of the programs like, congestion mitigation air quality or some of the programs that were kind of weird, like bike ped programs now are, are kind of pretty standard. Yeah, and, you know, they may be a, a bike ped coordinator at the, the local government. So that part, I feel like I'm not, um, I don't feel like I'm the, the weirdo in the room anymore <laughs> talking about sidewalks or bike paths or, Hey, that helps transit. You know, yeah. there's like other people joining the chorus yeah, now. Yeah. So that that's encouraging. That is good. <laughs> One more question about your past before we delve into kind of like I want to ask you about the inside baseball. Give me some numbers and all that stuff about your mm-hmm. current transit system. Just prior to this, you were general manager. And this is when I got to know you when I was at the MTA in Baltimore. And you were head of Lextran. Yes, yeah, yes. Tell me about that job some. Lextran was an amazing time and just a really cool opportunity for me. When I started there, we 
We're breaking ground on construction of, of a brand new headquarters, $26 million in Lexington, campus Kentucky. in Lexington, Kentucky. Yeah. Yes. And when I thought that would be a, the craziest time I ever started a job <laughs> yeah. until I started this one and yeah. it was even crazier. But, um, Lextran was, was a great, was a great agency, really enjoyed working in Lexington. A little bit of a intentionally smaller footprint. Lexington has a longstanding urban growth boundary. So they contain, um, if you will, their built environment uh, and they have a, you know, green space all around the community. It's mostly because of horse farms, because there's a lot of yes. money to be made by keeping green space for thoroughbreds yes. who win the Kentucky Derby and whatnot. But so Lexington has a more of a dense, I mean, no one would, no one from Baltimore or New York would think of Lexington as a dense urban environment, <laughs> but it is denser and more urban yeah. than, than some other places in the state. And the University of Kentucky was there. So we had a, you know, there's really two downtowns. There's the downtown that you would think of as a downtown. And then there's another downtown with the University of Kentucky because they have 30,000 plus students, faculty, yeah. staff. So oh, yeah. it's, we, you know, our, our system was oriented towards UK and then downtown, okay. but great system. And I, Jill Barnett's the, the GM there now and doing great stuff. They've yes. got some couple different capital projects going on. Just, I, I, mi I miss my team there for yeah. sure. Well, that's part of the fun when you work at a uh, transit agency, you're kind of uh, what they call in wartime foxhole buddies, so to speak. You're, yes. you're under fire a lot, mm -hmm. you know, when you're in the public sec sector, whether you're in transit or really a lot of agencies, you know, education, everything <laughs> else, you're always under fire, it seems like, because you're using taxpayer dollars and people are concerned that you do well. Look, one question about that that I think some people may not realize is that um, there's something called management contracts. Yes. And some of these companies, like the one you work for, TransDev there, where they don't necessarily employ all the employees there. They just bring in the tops. Tell us some about how that works, because we haven't really talked about that much on the show. Yeah, so management contracts are 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 sort of unique. There's not very many of them left. Uh, everybody, I think, is or most people in the industry are familiar with operating contracts, where right. you you parse out some of your service to like you do here for paratransit, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. We contract oh, oh. out our paratransit service, yeah. but management contracts are sort of the flip of that, where you may have. You may have one person, you might have two, you might have a whole senior team that uh, maybe they are uh, contracted by a similar company and everybody else is a public employee. So it was it was maybe a little more common in the 70s and 80s as uh, yeah. there was the transition McDonald from transit did a bunch of this. McDonald Transit, yeah. um, PTM, which was the one of the precursors yeah. to Veolia and TransDev yes. and it, it was the transition from private operators, you know, private bus companies or yeah, private streetcars in the 70s. In the 70s and then the urban mass transit come on, came in and there was this transition period. It was like, well, are these going to be private entities or are they going to be public? And just so some, uh, you know, some agencies, now what we would call authorities or agencies, kept that. And it is an, it is an interesting model. I think there's some benefit. Um, I, th there can be some benefit, and certainly for agencies that have recovered after something, it could be like New Orleans RT after Katrina yeah. was was probably one of the best examples that where you you need some structure that can come in really quickly okay. and sort of um, bring to bear sort of national level resources, yeah, or even international systems. resources, international right? yeah. resources. Right. Yeah, that's good. And so there at Lexington. You were the general manager 
And how many people on your team were part of that management? Just contract? two, just the uh, general manager and the assistant general manager. Okay. So that was that was a little unique. Usually there's a couple more people right. on that management team. We yeah. were we were relatively unique. But right. here you're an actual employee of a transit authority. So talk to us about the structure and how things work here in Louisville, the home of Muhammad Ali. The home of Muhammad Ali, uh, the home of the authors of the Happy Birthday song. Really? Two sisters wrote the Happy Birthday song. Ah. And, yeah, and the so, Kentucky Derby. And the Kentucky Derby. Yeah. Kentucky Fried Chicken, Bourbon. That's right. We, we've got it all. I saw Colonel Sanders at the airport. <laughs> I sat next to him, at least a statue of him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I always joke that Kentucky's, or, you know, Louisville and Kentucky are known for like, Bourbon, fried chicken, used to be some tobacco and cigarettes. Like, right. we got all your vices. Gambling, <laughs> we got all the vices here covered. It's Vegas of the East. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no, so, but but Tark is great. We were, we were uh, you know, came to bear by state statute okay. in 1974. And uh, so we're our own separate authority. We have a, a dedicated funding source, property, um, Actually, occupational license fees. Oh, so we get um, a percentage of the occupational license fee here, and that is our our local dollars that come in okay. each year. Then federal funds, yes. the, the normal federal funds. The state give you some money. Does Kentucky give you any money? It's a very interesting question. <laughs> so for years, we res- so we operate in Kentucky and part of Southern Indiana, and for years we got more money from. Indiana than we did from the Commonwealth of Kentucky for years, except this year. And I want to thank our transportation cabinet and office of transportation delivery, because this year I can't say that anymore. We got um, a dedicated, you know, I don't know how long it'll be dedicated, hopefully in perpetuity, but we, we have a significant um, state state match that we can use for our federal funds. So it's, I, I, I've been saying the same trope for years, more money from Indiana than Kentucky. Can't say it anymore. <laughs> okay. So that's good. Some funding. And then you have uh, fair box revenue, some coming in. Fair box revenue. We, we've never been a big fair box. We're not, I don't, we don't have that high percentage like yeah. I see in some under of the 10%, other. Right? Under 10%, Under yeah. 10%. And the, I think our biggest change to fairs w- was made before my time here, but we went to the my TARC card, you know, a tap oh, yeah, card, sure, swipe yeah, card. Ago, yeah. So we don't have any more of the paper transfers. And now, now I think our next change will be to look at maybe an account-based or fair capping because the, we still have that same, we're still taking cash and coin on board. Okay. And it's like the bane of our operator's <laughs> yeah, existence. Yeah. Like they got to do the thing where you try and straighten out the dollar bill oh, and then yeah. you've got pennies that you're putting in. So I think that'll be kind of phase two of our fare collection is to to figure out a way to make it work for both passengers that maybe are trying to scrape together, you know, $1.75, $1.50 to ride. Uh, So that'll be kind of next for the fare fare system. And tell us about uh, what services you actually offer, bus and all that kind of stuff. So we have the, you know, your kind of traditional fixed route, you know, local routes that go across the community. Louisville being an older town that um, started from the river, that's why Louisville started, was uh, people used to have to get off their boats. They'd be coming down the Ohio River. They would have to get off their boats or barges because they couldn't pass the falls of the Ohio. So that's why Louisville started, was people getting off the river to travel on land and then get back on the river past the falls. Portage past the falls. (laughs) Yep, 
Yep. So we have a kind of a hub and spoke radial network. There's not a large okay. grid system here. So fixed routes. And like how many buses, employees, that kind of stuff? We have about uh, 700 total contractors and employees, about 580 employees here, 100 plus contractors through an MV contract, 200 or so buses, um, and then uh, you know fixed route pair chains that we have. One bus rapid transit line okay. that was started in January of 2020. So oh, right before great COVID. Timing, yeah. yeah. So we we probably will do kind of a reboot, you know, yeah. re-kickoff of a relaunch of that ERT line. And then the other big kind of project we want to work on is another BRT or another BRT light line on Broadway. So Broadway is our main, you know, one of our main streets that goes from the west part of town all the way to east end it's a huge route for us and that's one where we'd really like to see some some bus rapid transit improvements over time yeah. so you know get to a core system where you have four or five six routes that are great headways don't need a schedule oh, that, yeah. that's that's kind of where we're headed and uh what about um so you have traditional paratransit you've contracted that out you said to a mm -hmm. contractor um, are you looking at maybe doing, you know, microtransit mobility on demand, anything like that? Yes, we're we're calling it right now on demand zones. Okay. You know, because it's it, it is it mobility, is it on right. demand? But right. we're right now are are uh, calling it on demand zones, and we want to we're we're looking at a partnership or or a, an agreement with one of our cities, more of a kind of a suburban city that has has some, you know, residences, it has a little bit of a downtown with some restaurants and kind of retail. And then it also has a pretty significant light industrial or office park. And they are struggling to get employees out there. Right. And we think that could be a really good test for an on-demand zone because it has sort of multiple, you know, multiple types of destinations. Yeah. And so we'll be, I'm not quite sure of our contracting mechanism for that, but, you know, so the improvements on Broadway and then on-demand zone, I think those are going to be two pretty near-term projects we've been calling them. Okay. And uh, you mentioned a small town near. So let's talk about the size of your service area. Mm -hmm. So we, we operate in two states and five counties. Okay. And just in the midst of COVID, we, we did eliminate or suspend express route. So a lot of our service to the uh, out, you know, outside counties, outside of Jefferson County, our main county, were express routes. But nobody was going into downtown. Yeah, I mean, there exactly. weren't commuters going into downtown. So those are ones that I would sort of say are in kind of a waiting room right now. If we see people going back into downtown at that peak hour, nine to five, certainly we would be looking at you know, revamping or, or reinstituting those express routes and that commuter service. But we don't know. I mean, one of the employers, one of our major employers in downtown Louisville, Humana, many people are familiar sure. with Humana because of the insurance. And they've said they're going to bring folks back in, but they're going to do a hybrid. You know, they're going to allow folks to work from home a couple days a week. So I, I don't, you know, if I had a crystal ball, it'd be great. I'd know. But my gut kind of tells me, it's not going to go back to the way it was. I agree you know, it, it's just, it, yeah. there, it, 
downtowns are not going to be decimated right. or they're not going to vanish, yeah. but it's not going to be like it was. Yeah. Just It's a perfect time to reimagine too. Yes. What we want our downtowns to be and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yesterday when we were talking with you and your staff and I asked, what's your biggest challenge? Everyone agreed right now it's drivers. And I'm hearing this all over the place. Tell me about what the challenge is. What do you think the causes are? And do you have any solutions for our listeners to help get more drivers? Yes, it's definitely drivers. We we need drivers in fixed route and paratransit desperately. And I I think it's a couple of things. I think one is a lot of folks retired. I mean, the labor force changed with COVID. Those folks are not coming back to work. They've retired. Right. Um, then people that could retire did. People they? that could retire yeah. did. Then I think we have a little bit of a um, intermediate structural unemployment because I think there's probably a lot. Of, the, the next category that left the workforce was women. Okay. And right now I think we have a little bit of um, intermediate structural unemployment because there's women who care for little kids who aren't going to go back to work until the kids go back to school. Okay. properly back in school, right. you know, real school, not not, school, yeah. not the kitchen table with mom on a Zoom call. Yeah. Um, but so Is I that going to happen this fall here in Kentucky? Yes, know? yes. Okay. The Our school system here came back a little bit in the spring, but we anticipate, knock on wood, yeah. that everybody will go back to school. So I think we'll see a little bit of an uptick in the fall when kids go back to school. Um, and I think a lot of folks had some, you know, time to think about what they wanted to do with their lives during right. COVID. And, and they just want to do something different because we've seen not just a shortage in drivers, but also people who, you know, are leaving a finance department, you know, just they don't want to do it anymore. Right. So I, I think there's all of that um, that that's impacting. But what we've done is we realized we really, really had to step up our game as far as having people know that we were hiring. So we did radio, you'll appreciate this. We okay. did traditional radio ads. That's good, actually. Yeah. And we did a survey of our current drivers to see what radio stations they listen to. So we took out some ads on that. We did a, a you know, a promotion where the radio station comes and broadcasts from oh, here. Oh, that's cool. And then uh, we did a little bit of paid ads, you know, socials. And, and that helped us increase the number of people coming into yes. the mix. And so... You know, so far, so good. We really, HR has been going like gangbusters to get everything processed. You know, we've thought about, can we compress the time? You know, you fill out the application, you do the bus operator test, uh, you know, then you do your drug, all that. So how can we compress and get folks in the door quicker, but without sacrificing the quality of um, candidates? So I don't know that I have a magic answer, but I do think that, you have to step up your game for advertising because everybody is hiring. Yeah. You know, you, you drive down the street now hiring, now hiring, now hiring. I can't get my teenage daughter a job. She's not 16 though. Yeah. I'm like, I'll, I'll get you a good candidate. She's only 15 and a half Nobody though. Wants to hire, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, what do you see? So you mentioned a couple projects happening uh, in the near future. Do you have any long-term plans? Uh, I know you've you know, been here less than a year and, I know that you've been grappling with a lot of stuff in the wake of what you came into here, but what are your, um, where do you see the agency going? What type of services can you see coming here? We, well, it's exciting. We are this week, actually, we're kicking off our, a long, an update to TARC's long range plan. So okay. the last time we did a long range plan was in 2010. 
I was the primary author and project oh, manager. So it's Full like, circle. it's this weird thing. It was like, well, I guess when Tark needs to do a long range plan, I have Carrie to come Butler back, back. Yeah. Carrie Butler for the long range plan. So we're going to, we're going to kick that off. But, you know, traditionally that transportation planning timeframe was 25 years. That's, that's kind of a long range plan. 25 years is gone. Yeah. It's, we're, we're talking God knows about where it. we're going to be in 25 years. Right. Yeah. So we're thinking of a, a long range plan more in the, in the six year timeframe. So yeah, that that's sense. kind of our planning horizon that six year. And I think it's a little bit about what I mentioned is seeing a really strong network of bus routes that you don't need a pocket schedule. You really can, yeah. you know, you might have an app to find out where it is, but the high frequency routes, high frequency routes, really good quality stops along those routes, you know, making those improvements at sidewalks and at, at bus stops and shelters, and then really figuring out the best way to do on-demand microtransit mobility. Because what I see as another challenge, like where we've not paid enough attention to competitive travel times, is how can we, how can we manage or drive down the cost of a passenger trip? per person, per yes, car. Right. And we've got to start thinking about how do we drive that cost down so that we can afford to do these on-demand zones and to meet people, um, you know, get people where they need to go in the way that they're thinking about it that isn't a two-hour trip. Right. Or, you know, or worse, a trip where you wait, in, you know, it's an hour and then you wait for 30 minutes somewhere and then you get on another bus for an hour. That's even worse. <laughs> yes. You know, oh, go into this transit center in the middle of downtown with no services and wait and then get on another bus. So <laughs> we got it. We got to get better. That's a great vision. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So as we do our wrap up, I'd like to, when we get a chance to ask people about themselves personally a little bit, I think it's fun <laughs> for people to get to know. So mm-hmm. you're here in Louisville back home with your family, right? Yes. Yes. So two teenage daughters, one of them, I'm trying to get a job. The other one's doing lifeguarding and vacation, you know, so they're fun teenage girls that I'll be excited when they're young adults and in college, <laughs> but they're great. My, my husband does um, transportation planning as well, but he's a little bit more on the highway side. So sometimes we have some, what we consider interesting, but other people would probably be like, y'all are nerds, like <laughs> talking highway versus transit. But yeah. it's been, it's been really fun to be back in my hometown and I wasn't too far away. So right. I, yeah, you know, could keep in touch right. with friends and family, but um, looking forward to Derby next year for it to be a real Derby yes. and um, all that fun stuff that Louisville has to offer. That's something that, that your city and, and my home city, Baltimore, have in common. That's because we right. Have one the, of the triple other legs crown. The triple crown. Yeah. Triple crown. That, that's, that's, a, that's a goal. I would love to do all three legs of the triple crown. And I, I also have a goal. I want to travel to all 50 states. And I only have four left. So wow. I've got um, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, which okay. everybody keeps saying, like, that's a super easy trip. Yeah, Just one do trip, it. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, um, and then the other is North Dakota. Okay. And I can't figure out what, like, what to do or what to see in Glacier North Dakota. Glacier National Park, right? Yeah, Glacier's in Montana. Yeah. Oh, Montana. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Geographically yeah. challenged here. <laughs> um, I'm actually going to Montana in August, so hopefully I can oh, do it yeah. at the Small Urban Network Conference for CTAA. Mm-hmm. Uh, family pet? Yes, we have a, um, a rescue dog from Humane Society. When we got him, they said he was a retriever, shepherd mix. But once he grew up, he's real skinny. And he's kind of deformed, actually, but he's real skinny. So we think he's a golden retrie- golden retriever whippet mix because he uh. can run, run like crazy. So he he's like, you know, every like, nope, my husband didn't want him. You know, no, we don't want a dog. 
now they're like yeah. best friends. Isn't that what happens? They're best yeah. friends. Yeah. yeah. Last question: What kind of music do you listen to? I I love music. Um, I have been recently. I love electro swing. So it it popped up on a Pandora, and so like Wax Taylor. Uh, there's Caro Emerald. It's a really cool sound, kind of peppy and energetic. And then uh, sometimes I'll go back to my old school days. I loved like punk rock and California punk rock. So I listen to all, but those kind of ones I've been listening to recently. Very good. <laughs> yeah. The evolution of music. We all go through that, right? When yes. We try different things. Well, Carrie Butler, executive director of the Transit Authority of River City. Thank you so much for being our guest today. We wish you the very best as you take this agency into the future. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's Transit Unplugged In-Depth with our special guest, Carrie Butler of TARC. Next week on Transit Unplugged News and Views, Paul is chatting with John Siever, Executive Director of Central Indiana Regional Transportation Authority. Paul will be attending the Small Urban Network Conference, the Sun Conference, coming up in Missoula, Montana. So look for some episodes of both Transit Unplugged In-Depth and Transit Unplugged News and Views from the Sun Conference with transit leaders from across North America. If you've enjoyed listening to Transit Unplugged, please take a moment and rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps other people find Transit Unplugged. So, as always, until next week, ride safe and ride happy.